Being a financial grown-up, it's pretty hard. We know that. And that's why we need to be focusing on financial wellness. According to PwC, the majority of employees said that financial worries had a negative effect on their overall health and well-being. Money stress is expensive for companies. Workers are less productive and more likely to leave a job. They also have higher healthcare costs when they are worried about their money. Not surprising, as if healthcare costs weren't already sky high. Financial Wellness Strategies is here to help by providing engaging and yes, delightful workshops and educational programs for employees to better control finances. Anyone can lecture and run numbers. We talk about real life money stuff. Topics include setting up the best grown-up everyday money habits, managing those social media temptations to splurge, strategies to shop for the best deals at the best time, demystifying and really understanding financial lingo, strategies to steer friends and family away from those bad money decisions, and how to know when you should ignore the math that says you should do one thing with your money and focus on your goals, even when it isn't the best, quote, financial decision. It's time for your company to invest in peace of mind with financial wellness strategies. Get in touch for more information at financialwellnessstrategies.com. Welcome friends. Today's show is going to focus on something, honestly, I do not like to talk about, and that is bad money habits. We all have them. Yeah, me too. And they aren't always obvious on the surface. We talk about things like overspending or not putting enough money away for retirement. Okay, that's obvious. But what about being too conservative in our investment strategy or not spending on things we need to spend on because we want to be frugal and good and think we'll have the money soon enough, but then we don't. And then we find ourselves in a bad situation in the future or the short-term future or not taking a risk and then looking back with regret. On that note, today's quote was something I jotted down when I was watching a show called Open House. A designer, this is an interior decorating show, so a designer was talking about how he finally was able to furnish his dream home. And he quoted his grandfather as saying, in order to have things you've never had, you have to do things you have never done. In order to have things you've never had, you have to do things you've never done. It just really resonated with me. I liked it because it's not focused so much on the material things as on having the courage to step out of your comfort zone and take a risk, and then you do get the rewards later on. Something to keep in mind when you think about the choices that we all make. Sometimes what we feel is expected of us to follow the careful path is too careful. So maybe focus on what taking that risk can help you achieve. Within limits, of course, don't go crazy. So speaking of moving out of your comfort zone, I was really intimidated about interviewing this week's guest. Dr. Megan Ford is a big deal. I did my best though with the interview. Dr. Megan Ford is a certified family therapist with a PhD, a PhD, she's a doctor in financial planning. The financial therapist also behind the financial wellness app Stackin. And she is also the former president of the Financial Therapy Association of which I am a member. 
The interview is a little bit longer than usual because she was just that good. So stay with it till the end. I promise it is worth it. You're gonna love this conversation. Here is Dr. Megan Ford. Dr. Megan Ford, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bobby. I am really excited to be here today with you. Well, you are a big get, as they say, because you are a pioneer in the field of financial therapy. In fact, you served as president of the Financial Therapy Association. Tell us more about you and your work and what you're up to now, because you're also merging technology with financial therapy. Yes. So I'm a busy woman, but I can talk a little bit more about what got me into this evolving field of financial therapy and sort of what I'm up to these days. So I am a financial therapist. And so how I position that is sort of working in this space between the technical side of of finances and the emotional and relational side of finances. So my background is a little bit unique educationally. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that's what I, I got my master's degree in. And I recently finished my doctorate in financial planning. So I have this this cross-disciplinary background that kind of allows me to look into both of these spaces with some level of clarity. Really where my origin story, I think, about um, money stems from is important when we're considering like, how did how did you get here to this place of financial therapy and, and why did you choose this path? I am what I would consider to be a textbook money avoider. I had some early experiences growing up that maybe others would relate to as well. I had some moments growing up where I did not feel that math numbers or you know anything related to that, i.e. money, was for me. I felt moments of confusion and shame and misunderstanding. And those were very early experiences that I think carried forward into just this kind of like, I don't want to look at this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be associated with this subject of money and and numbers. So going into my, my master's degree, I kind of was holding on to some of that that narrative. And just a virtue of happenstance, my graduate assistantship was working under a financial planning professor. And I guess this new field was sort of emerging at that time. And I like to say that I was kind of born into um, financial therapy. So that time of my life really gave me this new viewpoint on how much emotion is kind of there inside when we're thinking about our our money behaviors, our our histories, our financial pasts, and that those scripts, as we call them, are so very present in our everyday lives and in how we we take this perspective like more globally on, on what's happening in our lives. And that's so present for us. So I think that it was very much a journey in getting from that point to this point. But what's really great is I think I was able to take this journey also with healing my relationship with with money and feeling more comfortable in that space. So much so that I really decided to go out on a limb and, and get a doctorate in financial planning. 
and it's very much a, a journey that continues. It's something that I have to resist against still. And I think that that speaks to the fact that we are ever changing, ever evolving as, as humans. And we need to continue that, that work of financial wellness for ourselves and that, that reflection piece for ourselves as well. And I could not agree more. And I love your vulnerability and your honesty about it because there's this perception that those of us that dedicate our lives to talking about money and trying to help people about money, there's a feeling that we are at the sort of end, at the pinnacle of our journey, that our lives are perfect and we've got all the answers. In fact, we often have more of the questions. And mm-hmm. that brings us to the, the topic of that I want to steer this conversation towards, which is having positive money conversations about bad money habits. One bad money habit is ignoring money or think that there's actually an option that you can just have somebody else take care of your money. You could have somebody actually maybe execute transactions, but at the end of the day, and this goes to the whole idea of being a financial grown-up, you have to own your financial situation. So to your point about this urge to ignore your money, that is a bad money habit. How can we have good conversations about that bad money habit? Mm. There are so many things that we can do. I think one of the things that I land on first is we can't have productive money conversations with others, whether that's an intimate partner, whether that's a family member, until we have a little bit of an opportunity to look internally at what's happening. I'm a firm believer in like, know thyself before you can be super productive in that area with another person. So I think it starts there. I think it starts in examining and exploring your own money story and what baggage financially are you carrying around still today that would impede those types of conversations with other people that would maybe block you from understanding their perspective that like sometimes we, we carry around a lot of rigidity about finances um, and how it's quote supposed to go or supposed to be or how we're supposed to behave. I like to joke that like money is one of the things that brings out that little judge in us. If we're looking at other people and their money behaviors and what they decide to do with money, like, I think that brings up some judgment in many of us. And that can be okay, but we just have to know sort of what to do with that. So starting to look. Give us some examples. How might we be judging people with respect to money? What might be some real world examples that we, so we can better identify it within ourselves? I see it a lot of times in the social media space <laughs> when we're kind of like scrolling through and looking at what other people have or don't have or spend or don't spend. I think that's a really salient example of like what gets us caught up or trapped in like, oh, but they're doing that with, with their money and maybe I should be doing that with mine. And so I think we we look to kind of like external examples to try and give ourselves a barometer for, for what should be happening for ourselves instead of really reflecting on what are my values? What are my beliefs about money? And what are my goals too? What's What am I trying to work towards? Because that's going to look different for every every person, depending on who they are and what they're trying to move towards. 
So another example of that might be when it comes to shopping. You mentioned social media and we see what other people buy. Mm-hmm. We often can be very judgmental. We might say, oh, they're not spending responsibly and just kind of leave it at that and draw our own conclusions. But yep. one thing that you have talked about in your work is asking questions. So this is not so much to social media. This might be to someone that you know, IRL, but rather mm-hmm. than judging them for their purchases that may on the surface seem irresponsible. And we can even take out the idea of whether they can afford it or not, right. but the behavior, their shopping, we tend mm-hmm. to judge yep. maybe, and this is, and you can expand on this, but maybe we ask them, what was your favorite purchase and why? How did it make you feel? Yeah. Oftentimes when we do look at financial behaviors, we think about kind of that judgment or that that shame piece, like, ooh, why are they spending money on that? That doesn't make sense to me in, in, in my own head. And we do this with partners too. We often have a partner who might be our financial opposite. <laughs> and so spenders and savers tend to kind of like come together because we admire different things about how, how that works in, in the other person. But the questions to be asking when we see things happening financially with other people, when we see them spending money in certain ways, would just be to pause and reflect, to ask some questions, maybe internally, even externally as well. You mentioned like, what's your favorite part about, you know, spending? I think that's a great and positive sort of reframe on on what's happening with, with our maybe judgment around spending for other people. But I like to go back to some of the underlying things that might be behind this behavior, because they're there, no doubt. How did they learn about money or spending growing up? What are they trying to cope with in their life right now that might be expressed financially um, or through spending money? Are they trying to avoid something? Are they trying to heal from something So I think if we take kind of like, we strip down the layers a little bit to really try and understand at its core, maybe what's happening here for this person, we gain this new insight into like, oh, wow, like there are some much deeper things at play when we're talking about money behaviors. We're talking about spending, but also saving behaviors fall into this category as well. If you know someone who is, very much needing and and wanting to protect their assets, to keep things very, very close in terms of their money. They don't want to spend frivolously. They want to save, 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 save. That's indicating something is going on underneath the surface as well. Questions to ask around that would be, you know, What's the meaning of of saving for you? Does that make you feel safe? Does that lend itself to feeling secure? Um, does that is that a way that you protect yourself from something that happened in your in your past? Is that a way that you kind of work against what you knew potentially growing up? There's so many like deeper layers that I think we can access through just asking questions and having more conversations around what's going on underneath the surface. 
Yeah. I mean, look, this is fascinating to me because on the surface, we think of sort of a bad financial behavior as someone that goes out and spends too much and goes into debt. But it's also not necessarily healthy to be oversaving or over-investing rather than, you know, living a balanced life. And it's important to identify those behaviors as well. Maybe not as urgent. There might not be as big red flags. But for example, there's different kinds of investing. Someone might mm -hmm. invest in products that are too safe because they're so afraid, but they might not understand that they're not even, let's say, now keeping up with inflation. Or they might be having bad financial habits like churning, constantly trading, looking for the bigger, better investment, or maybe getting information from sources that are less than reliable. Um, and I don't want to call anyone out, but you, you know where people are going on social media to get <laughs> financial advice these days. And that's something that I think is worth a conversation. So how would you handle that? Tell me more about your perspective on sort of bad financial habits that might look on the surface, like someone's paying so much attention to investing, isn't that great? But there might be some other stuff going on. How do we address that? Mm. You're pointing to some really good things related to like the darker side of perceived mm -hmm. good financial behaviors. Like good and bad is a little bit like black and white. And so I mm -hmm. see very much like what, what's in the gray space. But I think that you're pointing to some of the darker sides of perceived good or promoted money behaviors, like make sure you get into the stock market and invest some of that money so that you can grow that, that money over time, you know, saving, make sure you save, save, save. We don't talk about some of the limitations or the darker sides of those behaviors that can actually lead you into unhealthier territory. Like you're saying, your example of trading and taking a lot of risks with your finances. That's something that I think we need to remember is just because we say something is a good financial behavior, there are aspects of that that can lead us to unhealthy places, over saving, over you know, over over investing and and taking on too much risk versus what risk capacity um, you have. So I think that's an important aspect to talk about too when we're talking about financial behavior. Is yeah, there's definitely those darker sides. Are there tips you have on how to best address that if you see these behaviors in somebody that you care about, or you maybe are recognizing it in yourself as you hear this? Mm -hmm. I think if you're looking to address that with someone else, really getting curious is a point that I like to make sure to emphasize. Getting curious with others helps to keep the conversation open. If we go in to a conversation like that, saying like, what are you doing? Or what's happening here? Or if you, if you go in with sort of an alarmist kind of tone, that typically puts people on the defense, takes the conversation off the rails, and we're not really able to have a lot of productive dialogue then at that point, because we're overly concerned, they're overly defensive, and they're just, you know, end up trying to 
prove why what they're doing is fine <laughs> to us for yeah. the most part. <laughs> it puts them on the defense. Yeah, it does. It does. And so getting curious, using curious kind of language and questions, hey, you know, I'm really wondering about what's happening with this investment process. What's making you take those steps in this direction? I'm wondering kind of what's going on that's contributing to just like walk me through the process of like how you're thinking about it so that you really understand from the person's perspective who might be a little bit concerned about what's going on, that you have a clear understanding of, again, underneath the surface, what might be happening. And then you can speak to that. Oh, you feel really concerned about X. That can open up the conversation to a deeper level. Before we wrap up, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about the way that you're integrating technology into this. I have been working with a fintech startup called Stackin, um, and they've created this wonderful financial wellness app that really focuses on helping you to explore your relationship with money. So kind of one of the first steps is getting in there and doing a, a money beliefs assessment, kind of figuring out what money beliefs am I bringing into these conversations with other people, maybe into my own behaviors, how are they manifesting? And so giving you, providing you sort of this, this platform for understanding, exploring your, your relationship with money more thoroughly, and then kind of charting a pathway for you about how do I continue to walk this pathway of financial self-care, learn more about myself as I am constantly also evolving to, like we're not static in our relationship with money. So as things grow and change, how am I continuing to pay attention to that part of myself, that area of well-being that so many of us just bypass and really giving us a way to track. And one of the wonderful things that I love about the app is it's bringing together financial data with emotional data. So you're able to connect some of the pieces that you've never been able to connect before through a spreadsheet or through maybe an app like Mint or you need a budget. You know, it's the pairing of emotional and financial data that gives you an opportunity to reflect back and see, oh, wow, $200 at H&M. How did I feel about that? I mean, I like that, you know, a couple of the pieces that I picked up, those will be good for, for work. I love that for a Saturday night. But, but truly, like, how do I feel about that purchase or that set of purchases? Did that bring me the happiness that I thought it would? And so having that mechanism to reflect, to kind of journal about that, and then also access a sort of a, a coach if needed through a text-based platform is fantastic or getting that one-on-one -on -one with a financial coach to get you to that next level of financial well-being. So I think it's an amazing thing that we can really utilize. And I think it's the wave of the future. <laughs> well, I think every tool that can be helpful to us is definitely worth checking out. Tell us more about where we can learn more about you and be in touch. 
Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Money Therapy with Megan, and that's M-E-G-A-N. And then you can find out more about myself and the Stackin team at www.stackin.com. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. It was such a pleasure. We all want to live our best financial grown-up lives. One way to do that is to know that the people that we care about are also in a good place when it comes to their money. That might mean our kids, our grandkids, and yes, even our friends. But how? I mean, it's kind of awkward. You see them struggling, pretending to know more than they do, or just making bad money decisions, but you don't know what to say. And even if you say something supportive, then what? That's why I wrote Launching Financial Grownups. In Launching Financial Grownups, I share the tools and strategies so you know what to say to take the pressure off and give those you love the confidence they need. It's all about giving those we care about the right amount of help at the right time so they can not only learn what they need to know about being financial grownups, but also be confident that they can do it and that you will be there to cheer them on. Pick up a copy of my book, Launching Financial Grownups. I promise you'll be so happy that you did. I love how Dr. Ford is integrating technology with how we feel emotionally about money. It's not just math, and that's a good thing. Now for this week's extra credit assignment. There is a new Netflix series starring Ramit Sethi called How to Get Rich, which is kind of a clickbaity title for a show that is actually more about getting to the roots of your financial and lifestyle priorities and values rather than what the title could imply, which is that you're gonna be rich just by watching it. You will have a rich life is the goal of the show, which is really what it means. Bottom line, I'm a fan and I enjoyed the series and I think you will too. If you are not already, please get on my free email list for more financial wellness strategies. You can subscribe at bobbyrebell.substack.com or just look for the link in the show notes, which you can get to right on my personal website, bobbyrebell.com and click on the podcast tab. If you are enjoying this podcast, please make sure you're following it or subscribing, whatever the platform you're on has as the designation to get the episodes automatically downloaded. And of course, please leave a review. I'm insecure. I need the validation. So help me out. Big thanks to Dr. Megan Ford for helping us all be financial grownups and invest in peace of mind. Wellness for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, social media support, and show notes by Ali Bourbon. Artwork by Chelsea Perez. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned on the show, as well as show transcripts by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. To get even more out of this podcast, make sure you are also on our newsletter list to get more free content to live your best financial grown-up lives. There is a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up by going to bobbyrebell.com or financialwellnessstrategies.com and be a friend. Share the podcast with your friends and anyone you think might like it by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram at bobbyrebell1. While you're there, follow me. If you DM me that you listen to the podcast, I will follow you back. You can also leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And please support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. Finally, my grown-up friends, don't forget to invest 
and peace of mind. Thanks, everyone.